0: We now have an opportunity to be built up in our most holy faith, and I would ask Brother Dan Robinson to come forward and to offer a word of exhortation. Thanks, Brother Mike, and good morning, my dear brothers and sisters, young people, and friends. When uh, preparing for an exhortation, a brother usually a a few weeks ahead looks at the readings for a Sunday and tries to decide what will be the theme. And I was really excited to, to do that a few weeks ago and see that we had as one of our readings today, Titus chapter 2. Those of you that haven't been with us uh, for Sunday school may or may not be aware that we've been learning Titus chapter 2 as a memory chapter. Uncle Scott stepped it up a a lot. You know, you have memory verses in Sunday school, and he stepped it up to a memory chapter. And we've been working hard to to learn this chapter. I think it's a great project that uh, Brother Scott and Sister Brenda have initiated for the Sunday school. And so for the last half year. I've heard this chapter in the car on the way to meeting as some of the the kids and and Ashley recite it. I've had it on the chalk wall at our house, uh, various verses so that it would remind us as we're around the home. We've been reciting it with various success on Sunday mornings as a Sunday school, and I can admit that I don't know it as well as I should after all this time. But... What has been happening is this chapter's been going around in my head for the last two months, and, you know, there's, there's questions I have. There's, there's things I've wondered, why did Paul write this in the book of Titus? And I thought, what a great opportunity to look at it in a little more depth this morning. So if you don't mind turning to Titus, chapter 2, and perhaps you've had some of the same thoughts as uh, you've been learning it at your house. The first thing I noticed was that this chapter is an exhortation for absolutely everyone. In, in verse 2 he speaks, and, and I've got this highlighted in my Bible, the different groups, he, and it's a good idea, he's, he's speaking to the aged men. It's uh, very close to the word presbytery when you look at it in the Greek. It refers to an old man. It was used of Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. It's used of Paul the Aged as he writes in the book of, of Philemon. Um, it may refer more than to just age because in, in Philemon, he's probably writing to someone about his age, but he's an ambassador. And it's similar, I said, to, to the word presbytery, which was the Sanhedrin of the Jewish council. So there's those with experience in life and in the truth. Verse three, he writes to the aged women. And it's just the feminine word of that same, or form of that same word, an older woman. It's it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. But the instruction is not just for the men, it's for the the sisters of the ecclesia. In verse 4, we've got the young women. The word means to be youthful, to be fresh, perhaps not even to do with age, but to be new. Instruction for those that are, are newly coming to the truth or who are young in, the, in their service to God. In verse 6, the young men, it's it's the same word except now the masculine. So it's, it's again brothers and sisters, young and old. Verse 9, it's to servants, to slaves. You know, we don't have instructions to masters here. I thought that was a strange omission. But there are instructions to masters in Ephesians, in Colossians. And, and perhaps the point is that All of us are servants to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God, that's that word doulos, the same word that that shows up in the instructions are given in verse 9. So there's instructions to all of us in Titus chapter 2. In fact, Titus himself isn't exempt. Paul gives him instructions in verse 7. He says, in all things showing thyself, that's, that's you Titus, a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. And it, it goes on in verse verse 8. So, So Titus is asked to speak of these things in verse 1. Speak the things which become sound doctrine. In various points, he's told to exhort. So, you know, expound upon these characteristics as he's speaking to the ecclesia. And in verse 7, he's to be an example. So, you know, you can't just teach by, you know, giving instructions to others, you have to set the example. You have to be the one that's living the things that you say. That word example is, is a fascinating word. Um, it's the Greek word tupos. And uh, it comes from another word which means to thump or pummel with a stick by repeated blows. That's what it says in, in, the, in the dictionary. So the idea is to have a mold and you beat something into that mold. Or you stamp something and it leaves a mark. Uh, it's used of the, the mark that uh, were left in Christ's hands and feet from the nails. So you're either you're pounding something into a mold or you're leaving a mark on the, on the surface. And, and that's what Titus is asked to be. He's, he's asked to be an example so that other people could mold themselves into his characteristic and imitate him and they would be on the right track, whether they're old or young male or female, servants or masters. He was supposed to be an example to every single person in the the ecclesia. The ESV says in verse 7, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. In all respects to be a model of good works unto the ecclesia. And in verse 15, Paul says, okay, I've told you you need to teach it, and you need to be an example. Well, well, sometimes you're going to have to go that extra step. And when people are out of line, you're going to have to rebuke them. You're going to have to get them back on track. And uh, you you know why he puts that last last sentence there in verse 15, let no man despise thee, because unfortunately, when you correct, you're going to be despised because of, of the actions that you take. So what a remarkable responsibility is given to Titus and uh, if we're exhorting ourselves to each one of us as part of the Ecclesia. Well, Paul gives Titus specifics for each group. So in verse 2, if you go back there to these, these older members of the Ecclesia, he says to them, you need to be sound in the faith. I've just picked out one of the characteristics. It's important for you as the older members of the Ecclesia, the brethren, to uphold the truth, to be those landmarks that don't move as one generation moves on to the next. He tells them also to be patient. I've heard brethren say that the qualities mentioned in these specific sections to each group are there for a reason because they're the qualities or the characteristics that are hard for that group to to, to work with. It's harder as one gets older to be, to be patient. I sometimes feel that as a father. My children probably know that, uh, that patience is a, a difficult thing for us to do. But that's what he exhorts the older brethren to have. And he says that they should be cheerful. If you look up that word in Strong's, it's not just patient, but to be cheerfully patient, to remain positive. You know, that's taking it to another level, that even though... You're trying to be patient, you're doing it cheerfully. In the ESV, it's that the brethren should be steadfast. Or again, in Strong's, that they would endure, that they would be constant in the truth. And our older brethren are so often an example of that constancy. Their steadfast devotion to the truth. They've been baptized sometimes many, many years. And they haven't given up. They're still expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're still diligently attending to the activities of the ecclesia. That's a good example in the Ecclesia. The the aged women in verse 3 are asked to be holy in their behavior, to set an example by what they do. You see, it's like Titus. He had to to teach, verse 4, it says, teach the young women. But they're also in verse 3 to be the example. So you teach by what you do and by what you say. And you take the the young sisters under your wings and help them. They're not to be slanderers, not to be false accusers, but rather to be teachers of good things. And you can see there what we use our tongue for. Are we using it for teaching, or is it being used for for falsely accusing or slandering? The young women, interestingly enough, they're given a whole list of instructions, very practical things, to, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be keepers of home, at home, to be obedient to their husbands. It sounds very much like Proverbs, the virtuous woman, to be busy in the activities of the family and the ecclesia. And then in verse 6, the, the young men, there's just one instruction. They're to be sober-minded. And although there's only one, it's, it's a big one. This is a very important characteristic that's given to the young men, as we'll look at a little bit later in our exhortation, to be sober-minded. And perhaps there's only one here, because Titus himself would probably have fit into this category of being a fairly young man, and all the other instructions given to him would have been appropriate to the young men and young brethren as well. Verse 9, when we jump to that, we come to to the servants, who, very appropriate instructions given to servants... To be submissive, to, to follow instructions, not to answer again, you know, not to be the first response to dispute and say it can be done another way, or, or contradicting what they've been asked to do. You know, don't just think of this for servants. We're all servants of, of God, and, and how often do we do that? We think there's a better way, and contradict, and at least by our actions, the things that God asks us to do. Not purloining. I remember, Scott, telling us what that meant, to to embezzle or to pilfer. You know, servants have to be trustworthy, responsible, always obey the instructions, and uh, not to dispute or contradict their masters. Those are things we need to do when we come to the word of God and the instructions. And despite, you know, the chapter being divided into all these groups, really most of these characteristics apply to everyone, don't they? We all need to be patient. We all need to behave in holiness. Both husbands and wives need to love each other and, and their children. It's, it's not just specific to the to the young women. We all need to be obedient. We're all the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I think's really interesting is when you put all these characteristics together, and you think, what is it telling us? How could you summarize all these characteristics when you put them together? What's the overall spirit of the chapter it's about being holy it's about wholesome way of life and we'll talk about that again in a moment so while there's all these separate instructions given to different groups there's an awful lot of similarities and I guess what inspired me to, to think about this as the exhortation today is that almost every group in this chapter is asked to be, to be sober that's, that's one of the things that jumped out at me as we were memorizing Titus chapter 2 is that, you know, it, it kind of makes it hard to memorize, doesn't it, these verses? Because some of the characteristics are overlapping and you're just about to add that phrase that you've already said because it seems like it fits. But every group's asked to be, to be sober. Verse 2, the, the older men. The aged women, it doesn't say sober, but it says not given to much wine in fact, that word given means not to be enslaved to wine. It's it's almost the same idea of the word doulos for servants. Uh, That's in there in the Greek. The young women are to be sober, verse 4. And the young men are to be sober-minded. That really gets to the heart of what what Titus is being taught here and to teach the ecclesia. In fact, if you search in, in the King James, you'll find that sober appears 15 times in the Bible. And a third of those are here in in the book of Titus. Um, And four of them are in the chapter that we've looked at. The other is in in chapter 1, verse 8. So the the fifth time out of of five times, it refers to a characteristic of of the bishops. So the the bishops in the ecclesia, they also need to to be sober. So why is there this emphasis on sobriety in the book of Titus? Well, Crete was renowned as a very base society. Um, it's in chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, the description of, of the Cretans, that they were liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. In fact, there was a, a phrase, I guess, in ancient writings that uh, one lied like a Cretan. They were known for their, their lack of truthfulness and for these other characteristics. Slow bellies is uh, translated elsewhere as Um, In other translations, as idle, gluttons, so people who were, you know, busybodies, idle, gluttonous, um, sensual. But I don't know that that's exactly what Titus is getting at as he speaks to the ecclesia. There's there's really a much broader meaning to sober than just avoiding alcohol. In in verse two, when it speaks to the aged men that they be sober. in the margin there, it says that they should be vigilant. So yes, it has the idea to abstain from wine, but it also has the idea to be discreet. In other words, to exercise good judgment. When we drink wine, judgment goes out the window. But when we don't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we have judgment. So the, the opposite means that we exercise good judgment. We make good deci- decisions. We're, we're vigilant. We have a mind that's alert to the things of God and not dulled by, by the world or by wine. As we get to verse 3 in the aged women, it's pretty literal. It, when you look at the Greek, it means not to be enslaved by, by wine, uh, to be dependent upon it. It's, it's a real danger, isn't it, for, for people to get involved in that. But when you come to verse 4 and... Um, verse 6. It's a completely different concept in the Greek. It it really doesn't have anything to do with wine when you look up these words in the Greek. It means to have a sound mind. And the word sound is a a healthy mind. Um, Strong says that it means figuratively to discipline or to correct. That's in verse 4 where you, you teach someone to be to be sober, you, you teach them to have a healthy mind. It's, it's translated sometimes as self-controlled. And so you see, the idea of being sober goes much beyond just avoiding alcohol. And, and you start to get to what this whole chapter is about. It's about keeping our, our thinking and our homes and our lives holy and healthy, and surrounding ourselves with things that are godly. We'll, we'll look at a couple other words that come up in this chapter in, in just a moment, but we've got to finish in, in verse six, where he speaks to the young men who are only given one instruction, but that one instruction is, is an awfully big one. It's to be sober minded, that your mind needs to be sound, it needs to be, as Strong says, sane or to be moderate. The same word is in in Mark chapter 5. Just just flip over. Keep your keep your hand in Titus. We don't leave it very much in this exhortation, but in Mark chapter 5 verse 15. You know this you know this story really well with legion. And how legion represents a person whose mind is tormented by by trying to do everything. He's a double-minded man who who is, is struggling as a result of that. But when Christ comes to him and interacts with him, in verse 15, there's a very different man that's that's at the end of the, the healing than there is at the beginning. They come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the deep devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's, that's the word there, to be sober-minded, to be in his right mind. All those distractions have been taken out of his life. He was no longer a multi-personality type man who was trying to live life in the world and, and in the truth, if we look at it as a parable. You know, we, we can't fill our minds with so many things. Our minds must be completely dedicated to God. That's what Titus, that's what Paul is instructing Titus to tell the young man to to fill your mind completely with the things of God. So when we put it all, all together, as, as Titus gives this instruction to all the members of the Ecclesia, he's, he's telling them when, they, when they're told to be sober that they should be alert. They should be vigilant and watching for the return of Christ, obviously. That we should not allow the world to dull our senses, to, to take away the the things of the truth, and that we need to have a a sound mind that we don't let all the distractions of of life come into our minds. Look Look at verse 12. Where Titus isn't speaking to, you know, any group. He says this is the whole summary for the whole ecclesia, and he includes himself in it. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. I'd underline that. I think that's that's the key to this chapter, is that Titus is saying, this is what we're trying to do. Deny the world and and its lust. That's the one side. Get get that out completely. And then the positive is to live soberly. And and he describes that. Uh, We know what soberly means, but he says also righteously. So We need to do those things that are right and good and godly, the things that that come from God. There's so much in this verse. In this present world, you know, that's a phrase that just adds that everything of this life is just temporary. It's just this present world. That's that's all that it is, and that's what we should consider it. In the ESV, it says um, in verse 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age because it's it's just a fleeting age. And if we don't live that way now, well we'll have enjoyed this life, but that'll be it. And so the exhortation, I think, boils down to just seeking to live a very wholesome, spiritual life in every aspect of our lives. And and Titus and Paul had both made that choice. Look at chapter 3 and verse verse 3. They both put into practice chapter 2, verse 12. He says, we ourselves, that's Paul speaking to Titus, we were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, things changed. We, we used to be those type of people. You know, all those instructions that he gives to the various people in chapter 2, he's giving those instructions because that's the life they used to live. We were sometimes foolish. So older women, you should teach good things. Don't teach foolish things, teach good things. We were sometimes disobedient. So servants, be obedient to your to your masters. We were slaves. You know, We served diverse lusts and pleasures. And so he says to the older women, don't, don't be enslaved by wine, but live soberly. All of them were to, to be sober. We, we used to pass our lives in malice and envy. And so the older women were told, don't, don't be false accusers, but be keepers at home. Work diligently in the things of the truth for your family and your ecclesia. Both Paul and Titus, they left that way of life behind. And so the exhortation they were giving was one that they had lived in their lives. There's a a couple other ways that that Paul demonstrates that this is the tenor of chapter two, that we should be holy. Uh, Look at uh, verse one of chapter two. The word sound doctrine, we've kind of alluded to it, that it means to to be healthy. Well, the actual Greek word is where we get the word hygiene. That's the word sound, to be hygienic. And uh, when you look up that, that word of hygiene, it means to be to practice cleanliness or to have good health, to establish practices that will lead to good health. Wasn't that what, what Titus would have instructed? Is you get practically and you think of how did he instruct the Ecclesia in these ways? He would have taught them good spiritual hygiene. He would have taught them the the necessary things to be healthy in the truth. In uh, chapter 1, he uses another interesting medical medical term in in chapter 1, verse 5. It's interesting in in verse 5 of chapter 1. Paul says, "I, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed you. So evidently, on the island of Crete, there was more than one ecclesia. There was cities, and and Titus was to establish elders in every one of those ecclesias. Big responsibility, but he also had, obviously, help from these other elders in the ecclesia. But the interesting word there is to set in order. It's really the, the medical idea of orthopedics where you correct and put bones back together in a straight position um, to help prevent or, or restore injuries. It's orthopedics is really the idea. Epi ortho, I can't do it, Epido ortho, which means to straighten further. And Ephesians chapter four defi- defines the ecclesia as a whole bunch of parts that have to be fitted together in the right order to work. So not only did he work with individuals, But here's a man who has to put all the different parts of the ecclesia working together in the right order so that the body can move, it can accomplish things, it can move together in a right spirit. And so so Titus is given this huge responsibility to work with the ecclesia, to promote a healthy ecclesia, to promote a hygienic ecclesia, if we can use these terms, where their minds were focused on things that were holy and wholesome. Imagine if Titus was alive today and entrusted with our here in Brant County. I, I think the world we live in would present a pretty big challenge to Titus. If, if Cretans were liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, how would us Brantfordites be described? I'm, I'm referring to the world in which we live. How, how would this region. How would Ontario and Canada and, and, and the world be described today in these terms? And, and what advice would, would Titus, as he tried to, to apply this exhortation that Paul had given him, what advice would he give to our young people in order to encourage them to have healthy minds? What, would he, what do you think he'd say about popular music? What do you think he'd say about the internet and these phones that we carry around with us? What would he say about television? What activities would he encourage the young people to be involved in? Or as he moved to the young families and the parents? And he, he tried to encourage them to grow into healthy families where the word of God could grow. What advice would he give to young parents about balancing their time? and about getting involved with ecclesial activities. What things would he suggest we bring into our homes or take our children to? What advice would he give to the older brethren as they seek to, to keep those markers in place as they try to be patient and to uphold the truth? What, what advice would he give to the older sisters? I don't, I don't have all the answers, but that's what... Our responsibility is here today. It's it's not given to Titus. He was given great responsibility, but God's given that responsibility to every one of us in the ecclesia. First, to examine ourselves and apply all these lessons to each one of us, not to look at the other group and say, yeah, that applies to them very nicely. But to apply these characteristics to ourselves, to look inwardly and to examine ourselves and see how we can be a little more healthy in the things. Of the truth. And then to be an example to those about us. It wasn't just to to look at oneself, it was to be an example. Titus had to be an example to the older brethren and to the older sisters, to the young ones, to the servants, despite his situation. Paul asked him to be a pattern of good works unto everyone. And so the whole tenor of this fabulous chapter that, that Brother Scott has, has got us as a Sunday school to, to memorize is a great exhortation to each one of us to live holy and healthy in these last days. It's really so better than verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And like I say, if you haven't highlighted that one, I, I think I would. And as we turn to the memorials, we come to verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know, it's going to be hard to make these changes that we we may be identified today or as we consider this exhortation in, in the week that lies ahead. It's going to be hard to to make sacrifices. But if if we accept that exhortation, if we happily admit that we need to do better, there's our motivation, isn't it, in verse thirteen and fourteen. We do it because of the sacrifice of Christ that He willingly gave Himself for us. He's redeemed us from all iniquity. We've been redeemed from our sin. And, and because of his obedience, we've been chosen to be a peculiar people. The ESV says, a people for his own possession. He's chosen us to be his possession. We, we may be peculiar. But the, the idea is that, that we're special, that we've been chosen to this responsibility. And that God is working to help us, to help purify us, to help us with our spiritual healthfulness and, and, and hygiene. And that sacrifice of Christ and the hope of verse 13, it's not just what he's done, it's what's offered to us in verse 13. I think that was the motivating factor that changed Titus. Titus was a Greek from Antioch in Syria. He was converted to the truth. We think he was converted by Paul. He's called his own son in the faith, or... Um, He's, he's called his own son anyways. I can't find it in, in my verse there. but um, He was a faithful disciple who served with Paul. He was so zealous of the truth. But when Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem. And wanted to convince people that it was okay that the Gentiles had come to the truth. That they said, well let's bring Titus. Nobody can question his character. Surely they'll understand. And, and nobody compelled Titus to be circumcised. Because... He was so obvious, I think, his love for the truth. He was so convinced of the salvation that was offered in Christ that he acts as Paul's messenger to go to the Corinthians. The Corinthian ecclesia was having great difficulties. And who does Paul choose to go and to work with them? And and who comes back with a message that it had worked and that the Corinthians had, had changed? It was Titus. He was so devoted to the work that we believe he was one of the brethren chosen to take the poor fund to Jerusalem as a representative of the Corinthian ecclesia. He's so capable because of how the truth changed him that Paul said, okay, I want you to be on the island of Crete and to establish the ecclesias that are there. And yet so close that when Paul needs him, when he's you know, facing death, that he calls Titus to his side. But then so critical to the truth that he sends him off on another mission to Dalmatia. What an incredible brother Titus was. And the sacrifice of Christ motivated him to dedicate his life in service to the ecclesia and to others. And brothers and sisters, as we are about to partake of the bread and wine and and remember what Christ has done for us, it should motivate us to do the same thing, to completely dedicate our lives to the service of God. And I want to finish with words that I think fit so well with Titus from Philippians chapter 4. Interestingly enough, probably the longest section of scripture I had to learn when when I was a kid in Philippians chapter 4. We never had Titus chapter 2 as a whole memory chapter, but in Philippians chapter 4, finally brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, this is Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you.